0: Η ψυχή η ελληνική, νέα πανελλήνια φωνή. Κυρίε και κύριοι, σα καλωσορίζουμε στην εκπομπή μα και πάλι. Βέβαια, ακούτε νέα φωνή. Και όπω έχουμε πει σε αυτή την εκπομπή, αυτό που μα αρέσει πάρα πολύ είναι να γνωρίζουμε αυτού του ανθρώπου που είναι από την παροικία μα, που πραγματικά ξεχωρίζουν, μα εμπνέουν, μα δείχνουν ότι η ζωή μπορεί να είναι όμορφη και πραγματικά είμαστε περήφανοι για αυτού του ανθρώπου. Σήμερα κοντά μα έχουμε τη γιατρό Δέσποινα Δεμόπουλου. Είμαστε πολύ, πολύ χαρούμενοι που την έχουμε στην τηλεφωνική μα γραμμή. Dr. Δημόπουλε, welcome thank you for having me. It really is a pleasure. From the beginning of this COVID-19 time, you have been putting yourself out there and trying so hard. I remember from the very beginning when we did the Spire support campaign and you were that person who spoke to doctors, got them to send us messages and really inspire people to contribute, to give for PPE. And your voice was that first one that we heard. So thank you. I remember all your hard work, even from the very beginning. How has it been for you? I mean, you've been in this COVID-19 experience and you've been fully immersed in it. From a pediatrician's perspective, how have these last months been for you? Maybe let's just start off there for our conversation. Thank you, Yula. It's been a
1: very interesting experience. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but I'm so glad we're all getting through it. Pediatricians have been very fortunate that children have been mostly spared from severe disease. And so most of our work during this pandemic has been related to the indirect effects of COVID, which I'll go into, but also in terms of supporting our colleagues and the parents of our children. We have had one interesting entity that's come through with children, and that's been this multi-inflammatory, what we call PIMS, multi-inflammatory syndrome, temporarily associated with COVID. And it's landed a couple of children in ICU, but fortunately they've all done very well. But that's been the way the children have been affected the most in terms of actual COVID. But the indirect effects of COVID have been children obviously losing their grandparents, some leaving their parents, some children not getting access to care because they were waiting for their COVID results, some clinics closing down and children not getting vaccinations. So there have been the indirect effects of COVID that affected mm. children and have been upsetting and, and worrying pediatricians during this
0: pandemic. Wow, it's such a multi-dimensional issue, isn't it? Most of us experience that from our own lives. And this is why it's so interesting to speak to people such as yourself that have been on the front line and dealing with all the different aspects of this. So when you speak about children losing their family members and not being vaccinated, it really gives us a little bit more insight into the problem. It's not an easy and simple thing to deal with, is it? Yeah, no, exactly. It's not easy. And a
1: lot of pediatricians and societies have been campaigning in terms of trying to make sure children still get the care. And as SARPA, the South African Pediatric Association, we've actually sent out statements to say that children shouldn't be compromised. You shouldn't wait for a COVID result before allowing a child into ICU. We shouldn't be compromising our children. And we should also make
0: sure that mentally they've got the support that they actually need. Tell us a bit more about what you just said now, allowing children into ICU without a COVID result. What does that mean?
1: Basically, at the beginning of the pandemic, obviously, there's fear and panic, and everybody wants to know their COVID status before they actually take care of a patient. And obviously, it was used to divide patients coming into the hospitals into COVID wards and non-COVID wards, so that Mm. we would try and keep those infected together. In some places where there were delays in getting results, children and even adults would hang around in casualties waiting for for their COVID results before deciding which areas to go into. I and see. unfortunately, there have been a couple of, of children, and I know of one nine-year-old asthmatic in one of the hospitals, who died waiting to not get into that ICU because it's not a COVID Oof. ICU. And what we were saying as pediatricians is that children should get all their care, we should treat everybody the same and be protected with our PPE, as mostly children with COVID don't spread it and they actually get compromised was very sad the one little child who died of asthma because oh. there was a delay in the child getting into into an ICU
0: so mm. yes those are the
1: indirect effects which are, are very sad
0: you know you you hear these stories and something just stops your heart when you speak of a nine-year-old child waiting the things that you doctors have had to deal with I think it's so hard for us to understand and this is why we need to listen to what the frontline people are saying Tell us some of the big issues, issues about medicine. They have really come to the forefront. Doctors and medicine and pharmaceutical companies, those issues and big issues with children. Tell us about some of the big things. Some of the
1: big things that have come across in terms of medicine and pharmaceutical companies, there's been a shortage of some of the drugs in some areas. Fortunately, one of the drugs that's used a lot with COVID-positive patients, dexamethasone, is quite widely available. But some of the other drugs, the immune-suppressive drugs, are very difficult to get. So in some areas, you will get them. And then there's also been effects with children specifically in terms of them not getting all their vaccinations because clinics have closed and some pharmaceutical companies were unable to, to distribute the vaccines. And then there's been, as you know very well, the education and the psychosocial aspects that have been huge in medicine in terms of children and their anxiety, specifically Mm. to COVID and, and getting infected with COVID. Fortunately... We didn't run into, with children specifically, into the, the problem of not being able to, to get them through a COVID pneumonia mostly, you know. So it's, okay. it's mostly with children, we've been able to help them when they've got COVID infection. We've actually had a lot of the other problems with children. But the, the shortages in terms of medication and stuff have come specifically with adults and specifically with adult ICU beds in a
0: lot of the hospitals a lot in our government hospitals and ventilators for children how does that work I mean I know that ventilators were very important for the adults what is the situation with children when it gets very severe?
1: So we have needed ventilators in very few children. Every two weeks, basically, we have a a meeting with all pediatric ICU doctors around the country. And our colleagues in Cape Town and and now Durban and Doburg about two, three weeks ago have had a few children on ventilators from COVID. But it's been very few and far between, basically one every two weeks or so. And so it's not the actual COVID infection. It's been related to this multi-inflammatory syndrome. So basically three or four weeks after being exposed to COVID, these children get an inflammatory response and they can get gastro, appendicitis, they can get heart problems and they've landed up in ICU sometimes on ventilators from that, but then it's been a couple of days and then they off. So we haven't struggled in terms of not having a ventilator for children, not like it's been mm. on the
0: adult side. So interesting. Basically, children that have had COVID, parents must just be a little bit extra careful a few weeks after COVID. Yes. So when children have had COVID
1: or if they've been exposed to someone with COVID, because sometimes we don't know that someone's had COVID, basically during this time we're telling parents to be aware of gastroenteritis, rashes, swelling, you know, abnormalities and things around the mucous membranes, conjunctivitis, so red eyes, blisters around the mouth and specific rashes and very, very high temperatures. So it's a difficult one with children because even a normal gastroenteritis can do the same thing. But when you've got a combination of all of those, there's a chance that the child might be developing this PIMS and then it's better to just go, you know, get a pediatrician to actually look at the
0: child. You know, we don't know all these things. So it's so enlightening. Thank you for sharing it with us. Dr. Dimopoulos, tell us a little bit about your title, what you do, where you work and about your team.
1: I'm a pediatric intensivist, which is a critical care specialist for children. And I'm in charge of the pediatric IC here at Wits Donald Gordon Medical Center. I've worked in many places before, so trained at Barraguanath, worked in London, have worked at Ned Clinton Union Hospital and at Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital now at Donald Gordon, overlooking all the paediatrics and especially the critical care children. Donald Gordon does a lot of transplants and liver and kidney transplants, a lot of Mm -hmm. oncology. I'll just tell you about my team. In terms of the paediatrics, I have a group of intensivists, which are paediatric ICU specialists. So they're paediatricians by training and then they specialize in ICU. I have paediatricians who specialize in hepatology, liver, kidney, nephrology, neurology and neurosurgery and then general surgery. And then a big part of our team are the nurses. So look after children that are critically ill, as well as children that have chronic illnesses or acute illnesses in the wards. And then the other big part of our team are the physios, the OTs, the dietitians, the speech therapists. So it's really a group of people that work as a multidisciplinary team. We do grand rounds every day and we, we discuss all the
0: patients and make sure that they get the care that they need so many people that are needed to assist each individual. And I think COVID has brought to light how many medical people we need and that perhaps there's a shortage. What do you think about that? Yes, I
1: definitely agree. COVID has really taught us that we rely a lot on each other. And during this pandemic, we've had to rely on a lot of our colleagues getting sick and having to fill in the gaps for each other, having to try and support each other, colleagues who've lost family and mostly colleagues who've been sick and we've had to stand in and help each other. I do think that there is a shortage in terms of healthcare workers across the country. And we see that especially in our state hospitals where patients were lying in the casualty quite sick. But one thing it has been good for the pandemic is that the community has been very exceptionally supportive towards healthcare workers. And mm-hmm. a lot of the healthcare workers are feeling very, very loved by the community.
0: Have you seen that in the dynamics within yourselves, in your team?
1: Yes, definitely. So everyone's a little bit kinder to each other and we really are trying, and we all notice that we're having sort of psychological impacts of this pandemic. We we all notice how difficult it's been on our families. And we've actually been quite supportive of one another on a regular basis. And so there have been new friendships that have developed and definitely the COVID team developing at the hospitals has brought different specialists closer across the board from pediatricians to actually geriatricians, all needing to know that we have to work together through this, no matter what kind of specialist you are.
0: Amazing. This pandemic certainly has helped us to understand the importance of relationships, of emotions and what people are going through, the soft skills. It's just lovely to speak of this camaraderie that I understand that you guys had and the the fact that you were all there for each other. Tell us a little bit about that mental stress that you all went through that we wouldn't be able to understand.
1: It's very interesting that we feel like we're quite resilient, but we know that there's been a huge impact. And I think it was about a month into the pandemic when one or two of us started saying, is anybody else feeling what I'm feeling? You know, the anxiety of being worried all the time that you're going to infect your family, going home, you know, at three in the morning, showering outside, not trying to bring it in, thinking every little symptom that you've got that it's COVID, getting annoyed that you might have to work extra, the impact that it's having on your family. Some of us mm. struggled to homeschool our children while we were working. And then it was quite good. So after about the first month, we realized that we all started feeling this mm-hmm. and started talking more about it. Yeah, and then someone making a cup of coffee for you and speaking to you from a distance was actually um, one of the most amazing things during this pandemic.
0: It's just so heartwarming to hear you speak and also for us to understand the difficulties. When when I hear about you showering outside and having the stress of maybe infecting your children and your family, it hits home, isn't it? For those listeners that are maybe listening out there, you can just imagine that. You're coming home late at night And you don't know, are you going to infect your family? And I've heard that the viral load is higher in hospitals because of nebulizers. Is that uh, how you explain it?
1: Yes, no, 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 that is correct. So in hospitals, they do aerosol producing procedures. So for instance, nebulizing high flow oxygen, those kind of things that can produce aerosols for COVID-19. So so yes, if a patient's nebulized or in high flow and you're close by, the viral load Mm -hmm. is higher because it produces aerosols.
0: You know, we just have to understand each other's lives. We have to understand the difficulties that we all face so that we can be there for each other. And when you speak of somebody making a cup of coffee for you and that you could actually all talk about it and realize you're not alone in this. You realize how far that goes in order to help us in whatever situation we are. Here we're dealing with a pandemic and this is one of the big takeaways, isn't it? Exactly. Definitely
1: one of the big takeaways is to be kind and supportive. And I think that's what's helped most of the people that are facing this pandemic.
0: Would you say these are the life lessons that you've learned at this time? Definitely. I've learned to
1: appreciate a lot. I mean, just doing medicine and doing ICU has taught me that. But going through the pandemic has has made me realize that even more than ever we need to actually appreciate how fragile life is how important family is and one thing that I knew but never realized it as much as as now is how important your colleagues actually are and who's going to be there on the ground with me and Mm -hmm. who's going to stand in for me when I'm sick that day and I don't know if I've got COVID you know or who's going to stand there and cry with me so it's really been evaluating how fragile life is and actually appreciating it and appreciating you know, what I have and, and who I work with.
0: It's just so humbling to hear you say this, Dr. Demopoulos. And for the Thank listeners out the there, we just need to take a moment to process that, that this is a doctor that's gone through training, that's in ICUs. And the big takeaway is the relationships, the people around her that supported her. It's just wonderful for us to hear you and really take it all in and understand what matters in life, isn't it? Tell us about how it happened that you took part in the Jerusalem Dance Challenge. We spoke to a physiotherapist a few uh, weeks ago, Athanasia Kasimiotis, and it was so Mm. fun to listen to her telling us about how the group got together and how they danced. And we just love it when people from our community are part of these initiatives and reaching out to others and making a difference, even as you say, in the important things, which is the feeling, which is the heart. So you also took part in the Jerusalem dance challenge. Tell us about that. So
1: that was definitely one of the best things ever. And it started with pediatric departments around the country starting to challenge each other. So pediatricians around the country challenging, doing the dance and saying, I challenge you to do this. And so what we decided as pediatricians at Donald Gordon was, let's join in in this challenge. So spoke to a couple of people, the nurses were so excited, and then it just got carried away because everybody mm-hmm. wanted to be part of it. So we practiced once and then we said okay let's meet in the parking lot on this day one of our oncologists' husbands is a videographer he'll come and help us and we started and some of the children wanted to take part and the physios the OTs the nurses so we all decided to start dancing and then what happened that day in the hospital is everybody heard about it and then I got you know I got the nurses from theater saying to me oh please come there and then the nurses from the adult surgical IC, oh please come there and then the, from <laughs> the bone marrow transplant adult ward please come there so in that day from an hour and a half, I went all around the hospital with my speaker, dancing with all the doctors and nurses and some of the patients joined in to do this Jerusalem dance. And then I need to tell you that that Mm. whole day, there was so much happiness around the hospital. Everybody was laughing. And a lot of people came to me and said to me, it's the first time I've laughed so much in six months. And everybody was distancing. They were wearing their masks. But they all felt very much like they were working together and they were spreading positivity. And the mm-hmm. best thing is that all the patients loved it. The patients were videoing and laughing and the children wanted to dance with. And it was so nice doing this. And um, Even yes. in, the, in, in the ICUs, I thought some of the patients really wouldn't want it. But they said, please don't close the curtain. I want to see so it was such a lovely challenge. Everybody took part. We made a little YouTube video and shared it. And as it got shared around on Facebook and on social media, more and more people were saying, "Please, can we do this once a month? It's so much fun, and we actually do some exercise." Yes. So it's actually been lovely, and it's been lovely that it's such a wonderful South African song, um, and that it's, it's so spread catchy, a lot of posts. It's catchy, isn't it? It's That's catchy. So- it's so catchy and then since our Jerusalem also we've had other colleagues from private hospitals sending theirs across yes. and everybody's got a little twist to it and oh it's so very very catchy and I won't be surprised if we start seeing a few more but it's really been the theme of healthcare workers it's also yes. been the theme for some obstetricians with DBV. I don't know if you know about that but some no, people no. have been doing it so the obstetricians have been doing it specifically for gender-based violence right. so a lot of their Jerusalem dancers will show stop GBV But, you know, most other people, it's just about positivity. So there are some good messages that come from it. And it makes us proud to be South Africans
0: and work together. That's exactly right. And, you know, you speak about... Bone marrow transplant units and ICUs. And what comes to me is that hospitals are usually a dreary place, isn't it? Mm. And what a good idea to add something like this monthly, something that brings joy and positivity. And then there's an energy that radiates all over in all the wards, in the patients, in the way that the colleagues all feel for each other. So it's just wonderful. And we really need to start understanding how important those things are and really focusing on them as a community, as people that those fun things do make life experiences so much better and really thank you for bringing that to us and being part of it you can see how you initiated it and brought people and inspired (laughs) them it's really really fantastic what about the dance moves was it easy for you to learn the dance moves
1: would you believe that our greek dancing background does help (laughs) yes it was actually quite funny it took one practice but our nurses boy did they have the beat and so, um, yeah, it actually is easier than, than it looks initially. But yes, it was it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I do think Greek dancing helps a little bit. gives you a bit of a beat.
0: I can <laughs> picture you there airing as a Bacchico <laughs> move. You know, uh, it really is wonderful. It's wonderful for us to see these videos. I mean, we did the Buzuki video with the Hellenic Federation, and that also brought such positivity oh, and energy. Beautiful. And these beautiful messages, I think, are what at least are going to take us through this time, these efforts where people connect and people care for other. Each other and show that we're all there for each other you're a mother of two boys how has that been
1: for you it's been hard at the beginning Yola you know I was worried about the boys a lot um, and they were worried when I would be going to work they've become quite used to it now and it's been amazing going back to school we went back to school last term but I do think that they are quite aware of more than most children would be there's a lot of discussions and they know of people who've died of COVID they know of people who've been in ICU and so it has been I think mentally a little bit difficult for them but they've been really good I feel ambassadors you know they will go if I've got to take them somewhere they will moan at someone who doesn't wash their hands or they'll moan at (laughs) someone whose mask is not on or someone that's too close to them. So I've been really very proud of them. But it's been my biggest worry. If something happens to me, what happens to them? But we've definitely, we've been through it. Like I said to them, it's not over yet. We've just got to adjust to the way life is now. Often the little one asks me, when is lockdown over? When is lockdown over?
0: Yes, it's (laughs) not exactly. It is. I don't actually understand that lockdown's actually over, that we're now on level two. And so for them, it just still feels like it's a different time. It is, so lockdown everywhere yeah it's very
1: interesting it is it is, a, it is interesting for them but then i'd get when's lockdown over because i want to go to the sea mm-hmm. so yes. they are wonderful just like your boys you know my two angels and my reason for living joao and timaj they have very big reasons wake up every day they've been through a lot but they get it you know and when i was doing that webinar with Sahety, some parents were worried about how their children are going to handle wearing masks and mm-hmm. sanitizers and adjusting to the change in school but as I said then, I say now, children are amazing. They're so resilient. They adapt. True. As soon as they see their parents doing it, they copy. And as long as they've been shown the right way, they will do it. Mm.
0: You know, no, they... I agree with you because my kids loved it. And I thought initially they'd have a problem with the masks and the shields. They were mm-hmm. so happy that first week at school. And they said they coped with it. They made a plan and they were just so happy to be back with their friends and out there again. Exactly. And feel safe. Some of them said, I feel yes. safe, which yes. that's what we want. Yes, exactly. Yeah. As a pediatrician, I'm sure that you'd be so interested in the research of how this time has affected children. And we're looking forward to seeing the research of this from mm-hmm. many people that would be involved so that will be something that will teach us a lot about the younger generation as well.
1: Yes, I think we are going to see, know. I think we'll see in a couple of months, mental, psychosocial anxiety, and then possibly even some of the, the children who have missed their vaccinations. Yeah. But I think there will also be some positive things. Children have had to grow up. And I think we'll, we'll see these effects later. Yeah, so on. interesting.
0: As a doctor, do you have a message to give to the community or people that are listening? Maybe a message for doctors, maybe a message for COVID. What comes to you?
1: So Yulamore, my biggest message to my colleagues and to the community would be that we've been through a lot together, but remember that it's not over yet. Sometimes we, we drop our guard a little bit and you know we want to be normal again, but it's not gone yet. So let's just hang in like we've done through the last couple of months. Let's just do it just a little bit longer. And if there's two things I can just ask you to please be, it's just to be positive
0: and be kind to each other and to yourselves. Dr. Demopoulos, what about future doctors? What do you say to them? To learners that are at school and considering becoming medical professionals. I mean, you've been through this pandemic. Not many doctors could have said before they've been through a pandemic. What do you say to those aspiring medical students? Our
1: students actually feel sorry for our students, Yula, especially the ones that are near the end this year, because this has actually, unfortunately, compromised a lot of their their training. Teaching in the hospitals, we've had to, you know, not have them on our rounds all the time. They've had to do a lot of things online. But if they can just get through this year, I would like to tell them that you can make a huge difference in the world. People say to me, don't you wish you weren't a doctor so you wouldn't have to have this chance that you might die? And I'll say no, Mm -hmm. because this has been the most rewarding time for me and many of my colleagues have said that I'm so glad I could get up and go to work every day. Even if I've helped one or two people, at least I've done something. So I am so happy to get up every day and go to work. And I I often say to a lot of the parents of my children, I've got the best job in the world. I get to work with children and I get to work with a great group of people. And most of the times everyone gets better. So how much more rewarding is that? I mean, I don't know any other job that has got those rewards. And even though we're going through a pandemic. If we can survive this pandemic, which we are surviving, we can teach others. Already in the hospital, this pandemic has taught us how to be kind, to to manage things differently. We've changed a lot of the way we run lists, we run meetings, we run visitation. We've changed many things for the better. So this has been a great time to be a doctor. And if you are one of the students who are wanting to be doctors, I think you should just go for it. I think that this is what we are born to do. And if you are fortunate enough to be in that situation, then you'll never regret it.
0: Wow, your words truly touch us. Here you've come out of this very difficult time and you're saying you're so grateful for your job. Well, we're so grateful for you, doctors. We're so grateful that we have people like you who get up in the morning with that passion and that calling that we know we will be taken care of. It really cannot be stated enough how much doctors have been needed in this time and how we appreciate you all for all your work, for leaving your boys at home and getting up in the morning and taking care of all those little children at the Donald Gordon with your team. Really, Dr. Demopoulos, we're very proud to have you on the radio station and we are so thankful for your words and advice because it's inspirational for all of us that have been at home and sometimes moaning about masks or other things. We just don't see what other people go through. So this is what's so wonderful about conversation and meeting people and interviewing them such as yourself. Thank you so, so much.
1: And Yulam, we thank you very much for what you do. You don't realize how much you inspire many of us, everything you do with your radio station. Thank you so much.
0: It's all about being together. We're very lucky to have the Hellenic Radio to share all these messages on and, of course, our wonderful community. Keep doing what you're doing. We're very, very thankful. We're very grateful to all the doctors. And we wish you strength. We wish you health. We wish you everything that you wish for all your patients. And really, we are here for you as a radio station. Please keep in touch with us. Give us those messages of encouragement so that we can help on our side as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ευχαριστώ σε όλους και στην οικογένεια μου και στους
1: γιατρούς που δουλεύουν στο νοσοκομείο. Και πιο πολύ ευχαριστώ στο κοινότητα και σε όλους τους Έλληνες. Σας αγαπούμε πολύ. Οι γιατροί είμαστε εδώ, είμαστε όλοι μαζί. Και ευχαριστώ για όλα που μας κάνετε.
0: Σας ευχαριστώ, Δημοπολός. Σας ευχαριστώ πολύ και ευχαριστώ να σας πω πως ήρθατε. Σας
1: ευχαριστώ, Γιούλα μου.
0: Να είσαι καλά. ¡Calimera!